And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar to... goes to... Gentlemen, my only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten your seat. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Yeah. All real, man. Love is... is love. Too weak a word. Stay Welcome to the next best picture podcast. And the Oscar goes to Parasite. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 192 of the next best picture podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia. Time of recording 11.06 a.m. on May 3rd, 2020, a day before uh, May the 4th be with you, actually. And joining me today to talk about, well, some pretty, pretty, pretty drastic big changes. Uh, This has probably been our uh, our most packed episode uh, since the pandemic uh, broke out. And honestly, it's been a little tough. You know, there hasn't been much to talk about with the lack of uh, new releases, a lot of questions hanging in the air. But we got a lot to talk about this week, uh, not just in regards to the theatrical experience, but also in regards to the Oscars as the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences announced new rules for this year. We're going to dive right into them here to help me talk about that. I have Michael Schwartz. Who said we weren't busy? Hello, everyone. <laughs> Casey Lee Clark. Hello. Josh Parham. Hello, hello. And Dan Bear. Let's get ready to step in it. Well, before we do step in it, let's uh, dab our toes in ever so slightly. And first of all, start off by asking a question that I like to ask everyone during this time. Michael, we'll start off with you. What have you been watching at home this past week? This past week, uh, I'll start with the movies first because there's only one. I went back on Friday night, went back to revisit a movie that's a little over 30 years old at this point. Had seen a few years ago and wanted to take another look at it. And that was Dangerous Liaisons. Oh, nice. Mm. I was feeling in the movie some Glenn Close and John Malkovich and Michelle Pfeiffer, Uma Thurman, all those great people. And uh, yeah, good movie, as I remembered. And, you know, it was just like you want to see a good performance because we're not getting any you know, great Oscar content for a while, it looks like. And hey, that's a great Glenn Close performance. Yeah, I know a lot of people uh, talk often about performances that Glenn Close should have won the Oscar for. Uh, That's my pick, personally, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. within her filmography. Good choice there, Michael. Yeah, so that was good to watch. And uh, just a few TV shows. If you haven't watched Hollywood on Netflix, I'm finding it very entertaining. Uh, It's very much a Ryan Murphy show, but I like Ryan Murphy. I was going to say, some mixed reactions to that one I've seen. (laughs) Yeah, that's not what I've heard. (laughs) If you're not a Ryan Murphy fan, don't even bother. But, you know, I happen to like his style. And look, it's not a piece of history. So don't go in expecting, you know, a lesson in what Hollywood looked like. But it's very entertaining for what Ryan Murphy shows are. Mm -hmm. Casey? I mean, I've been watching a lot of stuff. I feel like between streaming and like trying to watch stuff that I already own, my boyfriend's staying with me, so we're trying to find lots of things to watch, um, lots of classic films and whatnot. Plus, we're also rewatching Mad Men, which he hasn't seen before. We just started season five; it's my favorite show. Um, yeah, that's. <laughs> I have too many to just point out some, but yeah. All right, Josh Parm. Uh, I've actually been watching a lot over the past week. Uh, it's been a mixture of some things that I've seen before and just revisiting and some new stuff. Um, 
And I think just to focus on the new stuff that I've been watching, one thing that I saw was I finally saw Emma, which is not to be confused with Emma period that came out earlier this year. This is the Pablo Lorraine movie. And I've noticed that a lot of people really, really seem to love it. I was a little bit cooler on the film, I have to say. Um, It's got great cinematography and I love the score. It's probably my favorite score of the year so far, but I don't know, just something about the characters and the story just didn't really connect with me. But I get why people seem to really love it. There are good things about it. It wasn't really for me, but there are definitely some things to appreciate about it for sure. And I'm still a big fan of Pablo Lorraine. I was crushed, absolutely crushed, because I planned on watching Emma this weekend. I was ready to watch it yesterday on Saturday, and I then found out that it was only available to stream on Mubi on Friday. So I missed my window. Yeah, just that day. <laughs> and this movie has eluded me for about a year now. So I'm just like, God, am I ever going to be able to watch this movie? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I saw it on movie on that day, too. So it, it's an interesting film. Like I said, it didn't really work for me overall, but there are definitely things in it that I appreciated. Um, and then after that, I saw this movie called On a Magical Night which is directed by Christophe Henre. Uh, he's done a lot of movies in the past, mm. most notably uh, Sorry Angel, I think was the last movie that he did. And this one is sort of, it kind of reminds me of like a Woody Allen movie where it's sort of this intimate character drama with kind of this high concept um, uh, sort of magical realism premise to it. And I like that one overall. It's got really good performances. The energy to it is sort of endearing. It doesn't always land in terms of the story that it's trying to tell, but it's like an interesting like little story that's about a relationship. So I found that to be pretty, pretty good. And then I got one more movie that I saw, which I saw last night, and it's called Straight Up. And this is a, an indie movie that's also like another character drama. Uh, this one's about a young guy who's gay but he's very neurotic and has anxiety and he's lonely and he thinks that maybe to cure that he should date women and he finds this girl that he's interacting with yeah and tries to see if he can develop that relationship and i think it's actually really really good i had heard about this movie for a while had been meaning to check it out and finally did and i think that the performances especially from the two leads are really really strong and it's a bit like overwritten intentionally so and i think that depending on your taste you might not go all in with that but i found it very endearing and it's definitely i think actually right now one of my favorites of the year so far that's awesome really really cool glad Mm. to hear it dan bear what about you um i have been watching most of my movies honestly recently as exercises in combating insomnia (laughs) <laughs> um, I, I have have not been able to get to sleep at what I would call a reasonable hour. So it's very much, okay, let's turn on the TV, put on something in the background that can sort of lull me to sleep a bit. Um, and these are all movies, I, I will say right away, they're mostly movies that I love and enjoy and have for years. And they're sort of just movies that I know really well so that I can like just have them on the background and know what's happening, even if I'm not focusing on them. Um, and recently this week, uh, let's see what it was Roman holiday, which is delightful. Um, to kill a mockingbird, 
which is one of my all-time favorite movies. And um, what was the third one? I know there was another one that I watched, but I can't remember what it was right now. And this is why it's important to log your letterbox, people. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Um, (laughs) Which, like, none of these, like, I thankfully it strategy has worked so far and they're not ones that i like i have fallen asleep before the end which in this case is a good thing i promise um (laughs) also uh rewatched uh one of my favorite films from last year's toronto international film festival bad education which is now on hbo and check out our podcast review of that i think it holds up fantastically well i agree that podcast review was a lot of fun, definitely. Um, another podcast review that we also did for a movie that I rewatched was Foxcatcher for our 2014 retrospective. Oh, yeah, I did that too. That was a lot of fun. Um, so definitely check that one out. The podcast, not the movie. Uh, 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 you could do both. <laughs> no, like, no, I mean, like, the podcast was fun. The movie is, it, it's many things, but fun is not one of the things I yeah. would ascribe to it. I'll give you the Foxcatcher drawer one day when you come to Philadelphia. That'll be fun. I finally finished after starting uh, a documentary last year that I remember uh, being riveted by, but I fell asleep and I just never got around to uh, finishing it was Tell Me Who I Am. So I watched this on Netflix a couple nights ago and it utterly ripped my heart out. Um, It was one of the saddest documentaries I think I've ever seen and just so powerful. I don't want to give anything away about it. But it's so, so, so streamlined and so well-structured and shot, too. Um, it's only two interviewees, the entire documentary, two twin brothers. You hear um, the first part of the documentary from one brother's perspective, the second part from the other brother's pr- perspective. And then in the finale, which is what I hadn't seen, um, is where they come together at the very, very end face-to-face. And it was just mind-blowingly good. I finally caught up with Swallow on streaming. (laughs) Disturbing, interesting premise. Never seen this before um, in any movie. I really, really liked that it explored uh, familiar themes of class and gender roles um, through this very unique premise. And I think that Haley Bennett uh, finally found a role that was worthy of her talents and continues to show us uh, just, you know, how much she has to offer. Um, I don't think that we've gotten a fair representation of her talents quite yet um, with some of the movies that are out there. And it's unfortunate that not many people will be able to see this one. But if you do venture out and see it, I think you'll be struck by it in multiple ways. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a very interesting movie. And it unfolds in a way that I didn't necessarily expect it to. And that kind of surprised me. And then I also watched uh, The Willoughbys on Netflix, uh, which... I, I really enjoyed. I thought it had uh, a level of dark humor and dry wit that cut through its um, exterior bubbliness of uh, splashes of color and uh, cute animation that is made to look like stop motion, but it's not. So I thought that was really interesting. I really, really dug the visual style of this movie a lot. And, you know, when Matt told me about this movie, I had never heard about the Willoughbys. And I assumed it was like some spinoff of three billboards outside Epping, Missouri. Oh, God. <laughs> kids like moving on. Jesus. I, I had no idea there was this animated movie called the Willoughbys. So, you know, that's where your mind goes sometimes. 
Yeah, and considering that the uh, animation field is looking particularly weak this year and we need five nominees, why not check out the Willoughby's and see if it could be a contender or not, right? So I did, and I'm glad that I did. It was a really, really pleasant uh, viewing experience. Uh, I wish I had seen more. I'm actually supremely disappointed in myself for not watching more lately. Um, but, you know, I, I think that I'm slowly trying to get back up there. Those that don't know me, um, <laughs> I, I, I do have an attention span issue at home. I much prefer to watch stuff in the movie theater uh, because I, I'm trapped. I can't have my phone out due to etiquette. I can't leave. So I'm forced to watch something when I'm in a movie theater. And that might sound like it's a negative, but for me, it's truly not. Where at home, I get distracted by a multitude of different things, and I usually cannot focus uh, long enough on something. I don't know when that changed in my life, because I used to be able to focus a lot. But as I got older, I'm, I, I have such a hard time with it. So I need to up my streaming game, uh, that's for sure. Hi, everyone. This is Tim Costa. I'm Hermano De Silva. And this is Walter Vinci. And together we are the First Time Watchers Podcast. Each week we choose a movie to review that none of us has seen. Watch it together. And then discuss. These movies could be new. Or old. Or on our list of shame. You can find us on iTunes by searching for the First Time Watchers Podcast. As well as on Stitcher. And we love interacting with our listeners. So if you have any suggestions, send us a tweet. An email. Or post to our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. That's right. I mean, it's all about interaction. And talk about what we love, movies. And you don't have to worry about us going on and on about this and that and the other. And oh, no, no, look, no, no, let's no. talk stop, about stop, this stop, minutiae shut up, here. Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. I wonder shut who up. the cat can God damn it, shut up. I think that's enough, Walter. Speaking of the movie theater experience, though. Okay. All right. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, show of hands. Who here actually watched Trolls World Tour? No one. I did not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> nope. Well, Trolls World Tour was apparently such a success that NBC Universal Chief Jeff Shell got online, gave an interview, and said, as soon as movie theaters reopen, we expect to release movies on both formats. He's referring to in the movie theaters as well as on streaming VOD. This did not sit well with major theater chain AMC. <laughs> and AMC basically said, hey, if this is something that you're planning to do after theaters reopen, we hereby henceforward will no longer show universal movies in our theater chains anymore. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. Okay. So, <laughs> drastic decision. Mm-hmm. Regal Cinemas clarified uh, this week that they are not boycotting Universal nor any other movie studio. See, now this is this is the more you know appropriate response. Basically, that they will show any movie studios movie, uh, films films as long as they don't debut on video on demand services prior to the end of the typical 90 day theatrical window. Makes sense, right? Yeah. yeah. So why is there this big dick swinging game of chicken right now between the movie theaters at AMC and Universal over this issue? I, I mean, guys, this is being blown out of proportion. Am I right? The theaters need to adapt or die, and they're having some trouble doing that. So, you know, one of them being AMC here is just, you know, 
starting a big publicity fight. That's how I'm viewing this whole thing. And it's just such nonsense. We're going to have such a different world when we come out of this, whatever the world looks like, that you're not going to be able to return to business as usual. And the studios like Universal and some of these other studios that have been experimenting with on-demand, they have a model now of how to do things when we go back to whatever the new normal looks like. And I really commend them for being creative and looking at all these different paths. So if they're able to create a way and the theaters don't want to get on it, well, the theaters are already having troubles of their own. So they're, you know, in the whole mm-hmm. adapt or die thing, they're going to have to mm-hmm. fade away if they don't want to catch on to the new reality. Okay, but this is all predicated on the fact that we believe that we are heading towards a future where streaming, uh, going straight to streaming on day of release alongside a theatrical release is unavoidable, correct? Like that is the way of the future. To quote the aviator. Yeah, and I think that there's a way that that could work. I think the theaters are just going to have to, you know, find ways to work with the studios and making that balance happen. Instead of basically saying no, yeah, cutting the head off, cutting all ties, cutting all of your limbs off, throwing you into the river. We are never ever going to show your movies if you decide to go this route. It okay? Does anyone here feel that NBC Universal should have worded their words a little bit more carefully? Yes or no? No, because they weren't uh, playing to the theaters. They were playing to the Wall Street. Now, do you guys think then that AMC should not have taken such a drastic measure? Well, yeah. I, I feel like, I, I really do feel it's like AMC is always getting into this. Ship. Yeah. Um, I think they're doing it as a scare tactic for the other movie studios. They're trying to make an example of Universal because they're worried that if Universal starts the, um, you know, the ball rolling, basically, other studios will follow suit. So if they go this extreme with their reaction, it might make the other studios go, okay, hold on, we're not going to announce any future plans if this is the way things are going to go. And then Disney well, will and... be like, okay, boomer. <laughs> but that's the thing, though, like, it, this, the studios, the I, not the studios, the theaters are justifiably scared of a pronouncement like that. I mean, I honestly, I was more confused that AMC was the only theater chain that said something about it because they're going to release a movie in theaters on the same day as VOD. What is the incentive for people to go to the movie theaters other than people like us who will go to the movie theaters anyway and for just about anything. But even I think some of us would prefer to stay at home i i i I personally think that's crazy but i they need to they need that theatrical window in order to stay in business i think that i I think a lot about i i hate to say this um and i I, he's not going to listen to this so somebody please tell him that i said this but (laughs) when will mavity got on the podcast many many years ago and he said you know, that story about Steven Spielberg, George Lucas saying that going to the movie theaters would be like going to the opera and that mm. it's not going to be uh, for the mid-level budget or indie uh, dramas anymore. Those are going to go all directly to streaming. I had this kind of like AMC, a very extreme reaction to that of no, like the theatrical experience will never die. And I was very, very firm in my stance about this. I think we have all now over the years, especially with the way that Netflix has played the game in recent years, I think we've all come to the conclusion that there is a happy medium between 
streaming independent titles at home, giving them a theatrical release. It'll never be a big theatrical release. And some of them might go exclusively to streaming. But we're not heading towards a world where something like, uh, say, Fast and the Furious 9 is going to be just exclusively on streaming. <laughs> you know? Not yet, no. at least. I mean, I mean, there might be a world where it's less than a 90-day window, which I think would be appropriate. But the problem is that movies of that scale, at least right now, still need theatrical distribution in order to make a lot of money. Like Universal yeah. can tout the whole $100 million uh, that they've raked in for Trolls uh, for Trolls 2 right now. But you know what? They could have had like half a billion dollars and you don't get that on streaming. And that's the, also reality. Like they need to say they made money because there's no other way to get that revenue right now. But I think at our current state, there still is an understanding that in order to have these really big, giant movies come out, which studios are increasingly more and more interested in making, you still need some kind of theatrical experience in order to get the kind of revenue to justify spending that much money on these movies. Or profits across the board with every movie studio, they they can't keep doing a year-over-year growth. They all need to just get slapped in the face and go down and adjust to a new normal in terms of gross receipts and then start building year-over-year projections with that. It, it would be a, a drastic hit. Yeah. I mean, independent movies, if they go directly to streaming, I mean, if you use that ratio of what Trolls uh, World Tour made, independent films would be getting produced at a knowing loss. Never going to recoup if they go exclusively to streaming. Because what what independently made film is going to make $100 million on video on demand? I mean, none. And to be honest with you, like, Netflix hasn't made money in years either. Like, even the streaming giant that we know now still has not been profitable for I don't know how long. So, yep. like, things are not going to be the same moneymaker. Even for smaller indie films, if they go straight to streaming most of the time they're just going to be lost. And the ones that we are talking about now are the ones that already had dedicated theatrical releases beforehand. And it, it it is something that is going to require an adjustment, especially for right now. But I also think that this whole situation just feels like people who are acting in the moment and are not thinking forwardly. And this is, I feel like on both sides of the equation. Agreed. Casey, you're quiet. I, I mean, there's not really much else to say i feel like um yeah i don't really have too much on this topic necessarily that hasn't already been said it's kind of just like a a lose-lose situation either way yeah for everyone i i just want to say that one, one thing it kind of reminded me of when amc did come out with that story it reminded me of that scene in carrie when all the girls are in detention and uh the one comes forward and tries to <laughs> Uh, talk back against the teacher and then nobody else backs her up. Yeah. <laughs> so we're like, we like, if we just stick together and they all just go back to jogging and, yep. and don't say anything. <laughs> That's fantastic. You know, if I look back on all the movies I saw last year in 2019, which is probably somewhere around 50 or 60 titles for the whole year, out of all those movies, there are only a handful that I would say I had to have seen in a theater. Like a lot of great movies on the list, like even though it's 2020, your bad educations or something in that vein. That movie is no better or worse for me watching it from home. It's the same experience that I feel like I would have had seeing it at the theater. And if I'm paying the same price or a similar price just to watch it from the comfort of my home, then find the time to find a showtime and get to the theater and drive there and find a parking spot and, you know, make the whole thing happen. I feel like I would just have 
a better experience making it on my own terms, my time, and for my own comfort in my own living room. And listen, Michael, I respect your viewpoint on this because there are a lot of people out there that also hold it as well. You're not alone on this uh, island for sure. I completely disagree with you. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. How, however, I, I I think that once again, this is not a. a This is not a one-size-fits-all solution. There needs to be compromises on both sides, and everybody has to just find a very, very happy medium. Saying that the whole world is going to be exclusively streaming someday, which is clearly what the movie theaters are afraid of, I don't think that's actually ever really going to happen. The theatrical experience is never going to die. It's just going to change, and everybody is afraid of change, and they're not willing to adapt to that change. But here's the thing though i don't believe that it is an adapt or die situation i think it's more of a uh, like adapt or be replaced because there will be another company that will probably step forward that will be willing to make these changes and adapt to the times and uh, you know they just gotta they gotta do the hard work they gotta do the hard work to rethink their business model and accept the fact that they're going to keep on taking losses and that's very 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 hard for any uh executive for any company to ever (laughs) you know willingly accept but that's the reality of the situation for amc regal and all the other major theater chains out there I like what I'm seeing with the art house theaters right now and some of these independent titles from IFC. Uh, A24 hasn't done it yet, but I'll just use him as my example here. If we get to a point later in the year or early next year when the theaters reopen and there's a new IFC or A24 movie, I could see a world where those movies play at your art house theaters but are also available sort of day and date on demand, but they split the profits from those on-demand rentals. And that's what we're seeing right now during COVID. See, I could see that too. Yeah. I think that's the better model, honestly. Yeah. Because let's let's face reality here, okay? When Fast and the Furious 9 comes out a year from now, you really, really think that both sides are going to be standing by with these comments and these decisions that they've made? No. Yeah, no. No. (laughs) They're not going to risk that with such a big money movie. No way. They're going to reach some sort of a compromise beforehand, which makes this whole situation just seem so silly and petty. And I don't understand why people are going to such extremes. I get it that they're scared, but oh, my God, you need more competent people in, in, in like the decision making process here. Uh, it's just it's baffling to me. <laughs> now, at the same time, how would you feel if when Fast and Furious 9 opens, if they made like a 50 or 60 day window? Before it goes to on demand. Uh, why? Yeah, why? Exactly. Because there are some people, you know, you might find it crazy, but some people who just don't care about seeing it in the theater, they just want to see the movie in any capacity. And then they would be willing to pay a nice chunk of change to watch it from home. Mm. I think the 90 day window is perfect. Three months is yeah. honestly not a long time. <laughs> you know, I don't like it. I, I think it's archaic. Oh, how is that? I, 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 you need to explain how that's archaic to me. I think three months, you know, these companies can be making a whole lot of profit by doing it in a shorter window. OK, here's what I will agree with you on. You know, when we follow box office news and a movie is raking in the money and such, and we're talking about it, obviously, within that first couple of weeks of release. By the time we get to month two, I will admit that it's just on its last leg, making a couple hundred grand, maybe, per theater average is 
dwindling and it like kind of limps off until it just makes no more money, right? Or that 90-day cutoff happens. I don't know. Somebody somebody much, much smarter than me when it comes to box office, like um, Scott Mendelson at like Forbes or someone, would have to do an analysis in regards to if they were to shorten the window, what is like the average of money that would be lost and what does that amount to? Is it a million dollars? You know, is it a couple of million dollars, but less than 10? You know, it, I, I think it, at the end of the day, those $100,000 weekend grosses at the very, very tail end of a film's theatrical run, um, it may not be much, but cumulatively, like what is the average that they usually make and how much does that really pile on? I, to, 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 cut it, to cut it down for your own preference, um, I don't know if that's the wisest just business decision. I mean, the, the interesting thing about Trolls is that the $100 million that it brought in Mm-hmm. That's all universal money now. They don't have to share any of that with the studio, and that's very enticing when you're, you know, looking at the finances from a studio point of view. Agreed, but like the way it works right now, I think for these videos, you either rent for a higher price than you would pay a movie ticket for, or you just buy it outright, right? And so people are going to if they you know have kids that they know love trolls they're going to want to buy it right then and there and that's essentially like buying it when it would normally come out on streaming or when it comes out on blu-ray or they're just going to rent it and say that was nice and then never see it again whereas if you oh like and the same thing would essentially happen if you open on in the theater and on vod day and date but if you give that to this is why I think the 90 day window works for in terms of marketing. You know, people see it opening weekend, they see it in that first month. They have a little time away from it, another month, six weeks. And then when it comes out on VOD, streaming, Blu ray, everything else, those people buy it again. That's not I, going to happen if it opens day and date. The buy it again model is something that I think we're looking at from the point of view of maybe five years ago. Now it just comes to streaming. It comes to Netflix or it's going to be a Peacock soon because that's part of the Universal brand. But that's people Netflix are where people from- are already paying a subscription fee. I don't think that's the same for when it's being released as this type of model where it's available on theaters and to purchase on streaming on the same day. Here's another thing, too. We talked a lot about this before coronavirus, before the pandemic. We all talked about uh, scenarios where, hey, you know, Michael, how much would you be willing to pay to skip watching, say, Never Really, Sometimes Always in the theater um, and just watch it at home? How much would you be willing to pay uh, for that one time watch video rental and the answer that we have found uh, has been twenty dollars. Uh, that's been the going rate lately uh, to watch something for rental during this time period, right? See, and that's a, that's an interesting one. But but, but, think, but it turns out yeah. though that people who previously said, "Yeah, I would pay a little bit more than a movie theater ticket to watch it at home," they're not doing it now that it's a reality. They're mm-hmm. saying it's too much. That's an interesting situation, because that's what I consider an art house movie, of course. And had I gone to see Never Really, Sometimes Always at my local art house theater, my ticket would be $8. Yeah, okay. like, I'm in the boat of, like, if I have the option of seeing something in a theater or watching it at home on VOD, and it's the same price, I'm either seeing it in the theater or I'm not 
seeing it at all. Like, I don't know what in my brain of the price of a movie ticket, I don't even bat an eye at, but if it's, you know, $20 to random VOD, I'm just not doing that. Not <laughs> if it were like $10, theatrical experience, but like, yeah. And now if it was something like, say, Mulan or No Time to Die, and then they turn around and they say, okay, for this to watch from home, uh, we're going to up it to $35, let's say. No. I still think that people would be like, no, I'll just wait. Now, if it's just me, <laughs> see that not. if it's a family <laughs> doing it, then yes. But if it's just me, no, I'm not paying $35 to watch a movie on, on demand. Who the fuck? Like, I could buy it in six weeks for less. I, I think these are all very interesting scenarios and questions to ask, especially as our new reality um, progresses. Yeah. Uh, we have said before that as the times move on everything is going to change the theatrical experience is not going to be what it once was let's just hypothetically say that businesses do start reopening uh within the next two months or so we're going to see drastic changes at movie theaters i i I mean that's another thing too to also factor let's imagine a movie theater only has say 500 seats okay they're not gonna be able to sell 500 tickets for a, a movie because they're going to have to keep social distancing still in place. So the box office revenue for all these major movies is still going to be slashed down uh, because what are they going to do? They're going to just show it more times throughout the day. Well, then what other movies are being pushed out of that movie theater? Cause they only have so many screens then, you know, there's just so many different ramifications um, that we're all going to have to think about as we move forward over these next couple of months. And at the end of the day, I think it all just comes back down to the major movie theaters like AMC, Regal, need to understand that it's never going to go back to the way it was and they are going to suffer losses, maybe to the point of bankruptcy, to the point of closing their doors potentially. But I do believe that they put their heads together and they work with the movie studios there can be a new reality. It may not be a profitable reality where it, like it was before, but there can be a future. Yeah. The model is going to have to change. Like, and this is unprecedented. We don't have a playbook for anything like this. And people are making decisions as it goes along. And I fully expect that a month from now, we'll probably have more information and more decisions about how to move forward. And I get it that people don't know exactly what to do right now, but what is true definitely, Matt, is things are not going to be the same. And the sooner people realize that and come up with something that can work for the future, that is going to be the better solution. Bingo. Let's transition over to the polls here before we dive into the Oscar changes uh, that will impact this year's Academy Awards. Last week's poll, we asked everyone, which is their favorite Hugh Jackman performance? Votes are in. Let's ask everyone. Michael, what is yours? I stand by Bad Education. Okay, Dan Baer. Yeah, Bad Education. Casey Lee Clark. One of the few people that doesn't have HBO and still hasn't watched Bad Education. Don't worry, I'll get to it. Um, Probably Les Mis. Okay, Josh Parr. Um, I think even after having seen Bad Education, I think I'm still going to say The Prestige. But Bad Education is a close number two for me. The Prestige is so good. Okay, here we go. Top 10 
Hugh Jackman performances, voted on by the NBP film community. Number 10. I'm actually surprised that enough people saw this. Is the front runner. Oh, he is really good in that. And that movie is not as bad as people make it out. Uh, no, I just think the time. I still maintain that the timing of that movie's release is what hurt it more than anything. Yeah, but I don't think it's a bad movie. Agree. Uh, number nine is Kate and Leopold. Oh. Number eight is Eddie V. Eagle. He's got good chemistry with Taron Egerton in that movie. Yeah. yeah. All right. Number seven. Ah, uh, The Greatest Showman. <laughs> oh, Lord, really? Hey, bottom five, bottom five. Yeah. Number six is The Fountain. I love that movie. <laughs> which, that's a movie that I need to revisit. I have not seen that in years. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Number five is Les Miserables. Speaking of movies, I never have to watch again. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm with Casey. He's really good in that. Number four mm-hmm. is The Prestige. All right. Mm-hmm. Number three is Bad Education. Number two and number one, a difference of two votes. Wow. Oh, my God. Number two is Prisoners. Number one is Logan. Interesting. I could go with that. Hmm. I actually am still shocked to this day that he did not get more traction uh, for his performance in Prisoners. I I think it was because it was probably a crowded year. Agreed. But not even like critics groups really acknowledged him that year, which I thought was quite shocking. That's a really solid movie. Yeah. And now for this week, uh, we're looking ahead, actually. A week from today is Mother's Day. Uh, so for everyone out there that hasn't uh, called their mom uh, recently, I hope you have, you know, considering we're all in isolation, call your mom. Tell her that you love her. Um, we're asking everyone, though, what is their go-to Mother's Day movie with mom? What is a movie that you want to just watch with mom? It could be something that you watch as a tradition. Um, it could be something that you just have a very, very great experience, memory of, uh, that you watched with mom once. Um I tried very, very hard to include all types of genres in this list. So some of the choices you might look at and be like, huh, okay. Also, too, I can't include everything. I'm really, really sorry. But the list would just be so, so long. (laughs) So there is a write-in section. I tried to strike a balance here. So if your choice is not on the list, I do apologize. But I'm doing my best here, people. Um, Let's hear from uh, Michael. Michael, what is a go-to movie uh, with mom? Yeah, so my go-to movie for the two of us is Mamma Mia. I I was not shocked to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) Such great memories of seeing that we saw together in 2008, opening weekend, uh, packed house, and it was just wonderful. And that's something that is just always a go-to whenever, and it's always a delight. Great. Awesome. Casey? I'm going to cheat a little bit and make mine a double feature because one of them I just rewatched very recently. But I think both films that I think encompass me and my mom and our movie taste as well as just like our relationship, a double feature of Lady Bird and 20th century women would be a lovely time. Mm. Oh my gosh. Yes. Great choice. Oh my God. I I would love to do a double feature of that as well. That sounds amazing. Dan bear. What about you? Uh, So my mom is not big on rewatching a lot of movies except one. 
Um, and this would probably, I guess it would be our go-to for a Mother's Day thing, I guess. Um, and that's The Wizard of Oz. Oh, that's very sweet. Uh, mm. A good classic. Josh? I think the movie that I would pick is one that isn't exclusively about a mom, but it's more of a family drama. But it does have an Oscar-winning performance of somebody playing a mom, and that is The Line in Winter. Nice. Um, movie love. That, oh, yeah. I love that movie so much. And whenever it's on, I can just stop everything and tell my mom that it's on, too. And she'll stop everything and watch it as well. It's one of our favorite films. I love it so much, and it always brings me so much joy. Really, really cool. Yeah. Um, I have a new one after this year. Uh, those that don't know, I rewatched Little Women for a third time. Uh, on my third watch, I watched it with Grandma, Mom, and my sister. Aww. It was great. My mother loves the original Little Women uh, from 1994 so, so much. She was very, very excited to watch uh, this new version. And to quote... Uh, Saoirse Ronan and Lady Bird, what if this is the best version? Uh, And it is. It's uh, a new classic in my household, one that I know that we're going to be revisiting over the years for sure. Uh, We all loved it so, so much. So head on over to the polls page at nextbestpicture.com. Tell us your go-to Mother's Day movie with mom, and we will announce the winners next week on Mother's Day here on the podcast. Hey, everyone. I'm Aaron. And I'm Patrick. And together we host the Feelin' Film Podcast a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit. Yes, sir. Talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion. New episodes drop every Monday morning, and you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. You can also find out more about the show at feelinfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive. And keep feeling film. Okay. This is a day that we always look forward to every single year. The date when the board of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences gets together and they decide on new rules that will impact this year's Oscar ceremony. This year, maybe more than any other year, uh, was a very, very big deal because of what is happening in the world right now. It is very, very important to state that all of these rules are subject to change based on national guidelines, state-mandated government orders, and Academy-determined best practices. This is being literally read off of the Oscars website of their rules, which you can find listed. Uh, We're going to do our best to kind of summarize everything for you all. Uh, The first thing on the list here is eligibility. So... As usual, feature length defined as over 40 minutes long, right? Theatrical qualifying run of at least seven consecutive days in the same commercial motion picture theater during which period screenings must occur at least three times daily, with at least one screening being between 6 p.m., 10 p.m. daily. Okay. The other thing is that because of COVID-19, right, and due to the shutdown of all movie theaters that occurred back in March, the film, it, it could be a streaming VOD movie, but it needs to have had a committed theatrical run. So something like Bad Education on HBO, uh, I think we can all infer that they never intended to release that theatrically, 
right? No, no, that wouldn't be eligible. Yeah, no. So that would not be eligible in this case. Exactly. Now, something like, say, The King of Staten Island, which they have announced will be releasing on VOD and streaming in June, that did have an intended theatrical window. So if that never releases in the movie theaters this year, it only comes to VOD streaming, that is an example of a movie that still would be eligible for this year's Academy Awards, and only for this year's Academy Awards. They have stated that this is a one-off rule change for streaming titles. The film must be made available on Secure Academy Screening Room uh, member site within 60 days of the film's streaming VOD release or broadcast in order to qualify. Now, what do we all think about this rule change, and how do we think it's going to impact uh, this year's Oscars, especially considering what if movie theaters don't reopen and all these big titles that move to the fall, like Soul or The French Dispatch, don't actually get the theatrical release this year? I think that's what we're looking at. They're talking about a larger second wave coming in the fall and winter, and that's exactly when these movies are set to open. So should that be the case, here's an easy out for all these movies to still be in uh, contention. Yeah, as far as I see, this is really about the situation of most of these theaters just being closed and that uh, that part being the requirement just for eligibility just can't happen right now. And I I think that mm. most of these rules are looking at it for the situation right now. I don't know if this is going to be still in place by the time we get to the fall. Um but I think that it's sort of the necessary change to make right now. There's no other option uh, presented for these movies in order to get people to see them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, the question on my mind is this. The Oscars are still going to happen this year, no matter what, as of right now. As of right now. Okay. Let's imagine that they do occur in February as planned. But let's imagine that the studios decide movie theaters are still not open. And this is all tying back into what we were saying before. We're not going to release Mulan to streaming to qualify for an awards run. We're not going to release No Time to Die for streaming to qualify for an awards run. We're still going to hold off. We're going to keep delaying and pushing and pushing and pushing until theaters reopen. God damn it. <laughs> what do we think of that? Uh, if there's any year that Netflix will win Best Picture, then <laughs> get ready. <laughs> You'd think that, wouldn't you? David Fincher, let's go. <laughs> let's go. The prom, let's go. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, that's a good call there, Casey. I am inclined to agree with you. I don't know what this year will look like if a lot of these titles decide um, that they would rather have the box office revenue than the awards run. And then you have smaller titles too that, you know, we say time and time again that we think are, you know, designed for Oscars awards run. You know, I think the reality of the situation here is what it's always been, which is an award season run for a movie. It's all publicity and marketing for to make money at the box office. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, if there is still no box office, I don't even know if the smaller independent movies are going to honestly be like, yeah, we're going to stream and release for that awards qualifying run. I don't know. What do you guys think about like the smaller movies in this case? Well, the box office can be your home. You know, you could rent those movies on demand if you see that they're up for awards. There are plenty of people who still do that even when the theaters are open. Yeah, but they're not going to make even say 
I don't know. Let's let's think of a let's think of a, a small number for an indie film, but it's still like considered profitable. Like like say 35, 40 million. They're not going to make that from streaming VOD. No. No, but it's more than they'd be making now with the theater shut. Like you got to take what you can get and if these rules are amended to allow streaming titles to qualify in a very limited capacity, that still helps at least those movies get out there and if they are up for awards consideration that will fuel the marketing behind them it's not ideal but in these times right now you kind of have to go with the flow and find something different do you think that we could see a scenario where the oscars are held for movies that were released on streaming never actually did get that theatrical release but then let's say after the oscars hypothetically if timing lines up right where theaters then reopen let's say a year from now around this time period spring of 2021 they then give those movies the actual theatrical release post award season no i think by then it's all over yeah i don't think that will happen there is something else about these rules that i do find interesting that i wonder if it's going to continue further is that they have now for this season changed the type of theater that it can play in because before it was only in la like you could you can only show it in la and that would be the only qualifying yes. uh, theater that it could show in but now they've opened it up to more cities like mm-hmm. um in chicago and um uh, New York and I think there were some places in like Florida and Georgia too, uh, like major cities. And I do wonder if maybe that would be something that could continue so that if you can prove at least that you played in a theater in a major city for this amount of time, but it just doesn't have to be solely in LA anymore. Yeah. The, the list of U S cities are Los Angeles, uh, New York, the Bay area, Chicago, Miami, and Atlanta. Which I think makes sense. Cast a wider net there, yeah. um, especially considering that the theater reopenings are state mandated right now. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah, And and that was always something I felt like should have been in place anyway, because the notion that a movie should only play in one city in order to qualify seems sort of dumb to me, especially considering how widespread movies can go these days. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Totally. I, I, I it, It's good to get some clarification but I still don't know what the studios are going to do with the rollout of these releases. Everybody's hoping on a day-by-day basis that these new dates that they have set for when these movies will open, that it's actually going to happen. But what if it does? Like, what if it doesn't? Yeah, we, we don't know. Like, we are all just guessing. And every time we get these new release dates, it's with a hope and a prayer that things will be somewhat stable. But we have no idea. We it, we just hope every single day that the future will be a little bit brighter. I mean, can you imagine an Oscar ceremony if the Oscars then decide, nope, we're still going to have the we're still going to have the Oscars this year. And most of these titles that were going to be the would be Oscar contenders are now instead replaced with the movies that have already opened or we are watching on streaming right now. <laughs> like, I mean, it'd be fascinating. I would be interested in that happening just to see what this experiment would be like. <laughs> Kelly Reichardt for Best Adapted Screenplay. I'm all about it. Mm. <laughs> I'm all about it. <laughs> Let's make it happen. I need to see it. Uh, all right. Moving on to the next change. Oh, man. You guys know that I'm passionate about this one. We've talked about oh, this one I before. I am, too. I, I cannot wait to get into this one. Okay. So we are down in Oscar category this year. Womp womp. Best Sound Editing and Best Sound Mixing. 
guess what, people? You no longer need to know the difference anymore. You no longer need to explain it to anyone. The category is simply called Best Sound. Although I will say Dan Bayer's Womp Womp counts as sound editing, I learned. Yes, it does. <laughs> yes, it does. The volume in which he said it would count as mixing. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm going to just come right out and say for the record, I was always against this decision. Um, arguments were made that made me feel a little bit better about it, such as they, the decision has come from uh, the branch themselves. They feel that their work overlaps to a very uh, major degree. And it looks like the Academy is still going to find a way uh, with this one category to honor both sound mixers and sound editors on the team. Yeah. So everybody will get the recognition that they deserve. Okay. Okay. Compromises there. I, I'm okay with this, like, you know, to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. The bigger issue for me, and this is something that I expressed, I don't remember which episode it was, but it was, I think it was post-Oscars last year. Um, yeah, last year, this year, actually, when this uh, started to come up as a rumor. But my my big thing is that I just think it's an example of human laziness that... Nobody could really, after so many explanations time and time again of simply saying what the difference is between sound editing and sound mixing, nobody could be bothered to still know the difference. It's a fundamental human thing on my end where I'm just like, why are we succumbing to laziness? And it's just something that I find to be so silly. But hey, you know what? If this makes it easier for people to understand moving forward and if the right people are still being recognized, that's okay. Now, the one real drawback, and I I hope I get no disagreements on this matter, is that we may not see Oscar nominee Drive, Oscar nominee Ad Astra, Oscar nominee A Quiet Place, those one-off sound nominations for movies that make them Oscar-nominated films. I think that that is gone moving forward. I wouldn't necessarily say that. We don't know what the nominations will necessarily be like going forward. They're but going to be the best picture contenders. But isn't it's that one category, category instead of two. It's one category instead of two. So, but it doesn't have ten nominees. Been, <laughs> it's only got five still. There's been like at least one every year. Most years since this, since the expansion of the Best Picture category, in most years you have had a lone sound nominee, but like where it gets nominated in one of those categories and not in the other. Sully is another one that comes to mind. Yep, A Star Is Born, Roma. <laughs> I just, I just don't like the fact that less films will be recognized as a result of that. It's only going to be five, and like the lone, the one that only gets nominated for one is usually. A movie that eminently deserves a lot of Oscar nominations, but doesn't get them for whatever reason. Usually. Not always, but usually. I still maintain, though, my perspective on this is that I think that, yes, mixing and editing are two different skills, and I know what the difference is. But I still also think that they are so dependent on each other in order to succeed, to create one unified soundscape, which, quite frankly, I feel like the sound branch already thinks because most of the time you've got like a four out of five matchup between these two movies or between these two categories that I just feel like they already themselves are thinking of it as one category. And I have 
going forward, I've always sort of felt like mixing and editing, you kind of need them together. Like I can pick out one, but I still feel like you need the other one in order to really succeed. And so this being one category, I think is completely logical. This is exactly what BAFTA does too. Like the rules for this category are the exact same thing that BAFTA does. And it makes sense to me. And I am glad that it has happened. I have been advocating for it for a while. And this makes logical sense to me. And I want to make this very, very clear because maybe the tone of my voice makes it sound like I'm very, very much against it. I am neutral on it. Like I I'm passionate about the fact that I hate that some films are not going to get that recognition now over the more Oscar friendly movies. Um, I've, I live for those one off sound nominations for those movies that deserve better. I love that mm. stuff. I also love when the category splits and two movies get rewarded instead of one. I love that. But that's no longer going to happen anymore. And that's the disappointing part about it for me. I love, 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 love that. Editors and mixers will be acknowledged no matter um, the nominations, who wins uh, that part of it. I can I, I can rest easily knowing that that is the case. And it's the same number of people, too. That's the other yeah. thing about that. It's not just them combining the mixers and editors together, but it's the same amount of people. It's four mixers and two editors, which is the exact same cap as it was when they were separate categories. Right. Now, it's been a lot of fun lately has been to go through uh split years with the Oscars for sound editing and sound mixing where they went to two different movies and trying to figure out if it was one category and both films were nominated, which one would probably win. Yeah. That's been very interesting because think about this moving forward now when we're doing predictions. Yes. We're going to have to definitely pay attention a lot to BAFTA. I think from now on in this regard, Mm -hmm. but I still wonder what the hell happens in a scenario where you have something like, American Sniper versus Whiplash in one sound category. Well, would Whiplash even have gotten a nomination? I don't know. Yeah, it it would. Got the one. No, 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 Whiplash would have gotten a nomination. It would have. You don't know that. It was only nominated in one of those categories. I know, but it was a very sound filled movie. movie. It was, but then how did it miss the other? It's going to be interesting to see uh, in the years, because obviously we're not going to know after just this first year of this, but it's going to be interesting to see if it is populated mostly by Best Picture contenders or if those action films that this is where they typically do get recognized, if they are still going to be able to break through like a um, Skyfall or... Uh, hell, 13 hours, Secret Soldiers of Benghazi, <laughs> you know, like, I'll be very, very curious to see if they could still muscle their way into a category like this, or is it going to be like we saw last year, where it's basically five Best Picture nominees? But aren't, I feel like most categories are already on that trajectory of having most of their nominees be Best Picture uh, contenders anyway, or at least contenders in other categories. Yeah. Like, I don't think anything changes necessarily on that front in terms of what types of movies that they're watching and what they're nominating. Yeah. I mean, I think this is the right call based because it's what the branch wanted to do. And I'm not yeah. in any position to tell them how to conduct their business. If this right. is something they've been pushing for, then by all means, I'm glad they got what they wanted. I'm just going to be very curious, though, for like action movies that pre- that predominantly do well in sound editing versus musical films that predominantly do well in sound mixing, if you put them together now, what wins? Like, what's going to be the mentality that takes over in that situation? The musical. <laughs> I had no clue. 
and honestly, I'm the only reason that I'm okay with this is that it did come organically from the branch. Yeah. Which you can look at in their nominations. Like, I think that's really where the proof is. Like, I, we all are upset that Bohemian Rhapsody won Best Sound Editing and think that that's a horrible decision that would almost prove this should be one category. But as much as I am upset about that, that doesn't happen unless the sound branch itself nominates it for sound editing, which to me just says that they look at the entire soundscape, both mixing and editing, as one achievement already. Or they just vote for the movie they liked the best. Yeah, both are valid. I mean, like, just to look at this, like, look at 2010. Look at 2010. In sound editing, you have Inception, Toy Story 3, Tron Legacy, True Grit, and Unstoppable. And in mixing, you have Inception, King's Speech, Salt, The Social Network, and True Grit. What gets nominated that year? What are the five? Uh, First, you go to the Best Picture nominees. Um, King's Speech, Inception, Social Network, True Grit. Yeah, and those were all in sound mixing. Only two of them were in the sound editing. Yeah. Yeah, I I will say, though, that 2010, I do remember that, but that is pretty, like, a one-off in terms of what usually happens in that category, though. (laughs) It's an outlier. Yes, that happened. There was only two out of five of a lineup, I think, between those two categories, but most of the time, it's, like, four out of five. It's pretty consistent. The vast majority of the movies are the same in both categories. Yeah, but on the other hand, there's only been one year since the expansion of the Best Picture category where they have matched exactly. Yeah, but I still think four out of five is also a really good indicator to show that for the most part, they still think of this as one category. Or they just like the same movies. I'm just, like I said, I'm just upset that a movie that's not going to get nominated elsewhere that had an opportunity to get that just that one nomination is not going to get that nomination anymore. And it's always that one movie that's the quote unquote like cool movie, the too cool movie for the Academy. You know what I mean? It's always that type of movie that breaks into the sound category that gets that nomination. That Ad Astronom last year was amazing. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> All right. Additional changes. Uh, these ones, uh, I wouldn't say are as big. Uh, the Academy has now ruled for a score to be eligible for best original score. It has to be comprised of at least 60% original music, as opposed to the old rule uh, where they just simply said predominantly original music. Now, this is a slight differentiation, right? 51% versus 60%. I would be very, very curious, though, for movies like Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, you know, what kind of situations would pop up uh, given the new eligibility rules there? Oh, oh yeah. I, I saw something. Somebody made a comment on Twitter that I thought was funny that they decided to introduce these rules as soon as John Williams retired. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> and then another one here. Uh, The Academy is now allowing uh, members to participate in the preliminary round of voting for Best International Feature Film. Uh, And this applies to everyone. I'm mixed on this. Yeah. On the one hand, they're trying to, like, kind of get those high-profile movies that tend to not make the shortlist into the lineup. And I understand that. But on the other hand, 
you do sacrifice some of those smaller titles that do make it in that maybe weren't on people's radar beforehand. And I feel like that's probably going to start to go away. So I understand the balance they're trying to get to. And it's like, I understand the pros, but there's also some cons there that I'm not that into as well. I could see a world here where the mentality maybe is leaning towards after the success of Parasite this year, right? I could understand if they are looking at this as, hey, we want the best international feature film category to be a category that is comprised of the popular films like Parasite that people are actually talking about instead of the more obscure ones to give more recognition to a category that doesn't really get the level of recognition it deserves. I think after Parasite and especially Roma the year before, the double whammy of these two movies being such high-profile award season contenders, I think interest in foreign language films is at an all-time high for not just cinephiles, but for just average people all over the world. True. So I can understand where the mentality is in regards to trying to boost this category um, to get it to be comprised of films that people are actually talking about and the downside is something like a corpus christi may not get a nomination moving forward yeah it's a balancing act that they're trying to to strike right now i think also with the membership becoming more international that is driving interest in the category as well and that ultimately is a good thing yeah i I think it is a good thing but on the other hand Like it's just like it's just going to be all the main, more mainstream looking titles. Uh, like and this is one of those things where it's sort of like prove me wrong, Academy. Because, well, it's like the animated like, feature we, race. Yeah, because like we have no real context, but it, it it always and usually you could tell which ones were like saves by the executive committee in the final shortlist, but like. Even still, every once in a while, it was really nice to see that. And it resulted in some truly weird, wonderful movies getting a nomination that wouldn't have otherwise. Uh, and then there were some other rules here and there, but nothing that's like earth shattering, I would say. Um, they are doing away with DVD screeners, which is interesting. Yeah, this is the last year for That's it. huge. Yeah. 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 I can't wait to see uh, those honest Oscar ballots potentially this year <laughs> i didn't receive dvd screeners so i didn't even bother this year <laughs> okay boomer Everybody gonna, and everybody's gonna take pictures of their computer screens going forward with all the screeners they have since they don't have the physical dvds anymore <laughs> uh there are other rules uh as uh mentioned before that you guys can check out once again these are listed on the academy um motion picture arts and sciences website so if you are really really interested in reading the fine print it's all listed right there and you can definitely definitely check it out uh there for sure but pretty big changes overall um i'm i think we're all in agreement that we're happy that uh best popular film was not on the list this year so that's good Right? There's no popular movies anymore. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Out of necessity. Uh, so now we head on over to fan questions. 
Let's answer some questions from people this week. Hi guys, I'm Dean. And I'm Daniel. And we're from the Movie Journey Podcast. Where we break down every movie from the IMDb Top 250 list, giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way. We're also home of the Pod V Pod, where we battle other podcasters in various movie games and drafts. We also do reviews of new releases, film tournaments, top five lists, and talk about everything else we've watched as well. We used to be the IMDb Journey Podcast, but since then, we've grown and matured with age. Yeah, if you don't believe us, why don't you listen to some more genuine testimonies? Oh, hey guys, I uh, I used to like the IMDb Journey Podcast, but since then I've found something even better. It's the Movie Journey Podcast. Oi, bro, I know I said the IMDb Journey Podcast was a good show, but the Movie Journey Podcast is so much better. Absolutely, for sure, yeah. You know, I used to think that nothing could be funnier than IMDb Journey, but I've now found my joy in Movie Journey Podcast. The IMDb Journey Podcast is nothing compared to the Movie Journey Podcast. Absolutely love this podcast. <laughs> oh, amazing oh, testimonies once again. Absolutely legit and real. Of course. And if you still don't believe those testimonies, go ahead and check out the show for yourself by searching for the Movie Journey podcast. You can find us on all your favourite platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher and Podbean. So come along and join our journey. Uh, this one comes from the, at, uh, at the Cinema Guys. Will AMC go after any other studios for breaking the window besides Universal? Who knows? They're a finicky bunch. <laughs> I still maintain that this is a scare tactic, and I don't know if they're going to go. Uh, they're not going to apply this to everyone because then, if everybody gets impacted and they say none of you guys can show movies anymore, then they're hurting themselves. Mm-hmm. So, what's the point in that? Andrew Purr asks Does the change to the theatrical release rule for qualifying films blur the line so a film that would have been nominated for an Emmy for Best Television Movie can now qualify for an Oscar? It, no. So technically, it doesn't. I mean, we can all joke as as I have about greedy, awards hungry studios and production companies claiming that they had always planned for there to be a theatrical release and doing it. But I don't really think that that's going to happen. Yeah. I think once that happened with OJ Made in America, both voting bodies uh, made a concerted effort to make sure that wouldn't happen again. Hmm. Uh, this one comes from at Josh from Indy. Since theaters will probably reopen with a mix of newer and older movies in order to fill screens, what's one movie you'd love to see return to theaters when this is all over? Chicago. Oh, God. Um, you know what? I want the fucking 70 millimeter classics. I want 2001. Mm-hmm. I want Lawrence of Arabia. I want all those big wide screen movies that like demand to be seen on a big screen. Mm-hmm. I'm with Dan on that one. Me too. Yeah, that that's a good one. Uh, I think a movie that I always go to see whenever it is playing in theaters, no matter what capacity is the wizard of Oz. That's always a good go-to for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we kind of already touched upon this before, but it would be nice to just get a clear black and white answer. At Colby told me, asks, who's more right, who's more wrong, exhibitors or studios? Oh, Lord. My loyalty falls with the studios. That's just how my mind thinks. I understand where both are coming from, but right now I think that the theaters are just being a little delusional. <laughs> They're not really making that much sense to me right now, so... I get their perspective, but I think the way that they're going about it is not right. Yeah. If my comments earlier didn't make that clear, I I pretty much agree with that stance as well. (laughs) Yeah. 
And you know what? I will also answer another question from Colby uh, Mack at Colby told me as well. Now that we're down a category at the Oscars, what new Oscar categories should be added? I say best stunt coordination. I mean, guys, Brad Pitt's Oscar run last year couldn't get them to add the category <laughs> this year. I don't know whatever will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think there are two that should be added, and that's one of them. The other one being yeah. uh, an award for casting. Yep, agreed. <laughs> Especially since the casting director is now the president of the Academy, you would think that that would probably be on the horizon for them to talk about. Also, let's not forget the inaugural BAFTA casting winner, Joker. M- must, must we? <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> uh, Don't bring that up. Good times. This one comes from that CM guy, 1988. Speaking of movies that offend you. Uh... <laughs> What are some movies that offended you that if your significant other loved it, you would have to break up with them? <laughs> uh, he, he listed The Reader, Mother, Beauty and the Beast, Dark Phoenix, and Green Book. Have to break up if uh, if his significant uh, other liked that movie. <laughs> not liking a movie is never enough for me to break up with someone. Agree. Yeah. I, I Even if they like something that I'm just like, really? You want to watch a Serbian film? I, I'd still be like, hey, you know what? I found a, um, I found a unique individual in this world. That's that's something to celebrate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I, I don't think that there is a answer to this question in a real world scenario. It's funny and fun, but nah, come on. It might drastically change my opinion of the person if they said movie forty three was the best film ever made. But I don't know if I would break up with them because of it. <laughs> I do have um, I do have this issue, though, where if you only ever have seen popular movies and you're not open yeah. to watching yeah. more obscure movies, uh, we're not a good match. Yeah, I feel like I wouldn't date that person to begin. You know, you find out those things early on before you yeah. develop a full relationship. Yeah, I don't care if you're into me. I'm not that desperate. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Scott Kernan, due to the weird Oscar season, what is your no guts, no glory pick? for best picture right now my oscar predictions are on hiatus this year <laughs> yeah can i just yeah. say can i just say mank i'll just yep. say mank until anything changes seriously let's just say when i put out my initial predictions in february after last year's oscars my top two were nightmare alley and in the heights yeah so let's just you know back off that uh. right now i'm i don't know if it's even going to come out but my kind of no guts no glory is west side story no they're not going to reward <laughs> the same movie twice no. Just because it'll be familiar, it's a big splashy musical of Steven Spielberg, who's making a movie that reminds people why they love movies and they don't have to think about it. Like, I, I just think that that might be something that they'll respond to. For a nomination, sure. And I predict that pitchforks are going to be out for that movie from the woke corner of the internet. What? That's sort of the whole point of him making the movie. It's to I know, I know, but of... I'm I, I understand that. I just I'm gonna make a prediction based on nothing. I think that's gonna be the movie that the internet comes for for some reason. Uh, if anything, it's a movie that that corner should embrace. I know, but it, but that's exactly why. Like, <laughs> I mean, it it's so funny because yesterday on the this is a little bit of a digression but yesterday on the bad education review podcast we were talking about how like they didn't go into so much about um 
Hugh Jackman's character being gay, and we thought that, that like, they could have really done something with that, but they probably didn't because they didn't want a court controversy. They didn't want people saying, you know, like, he did, did all this because he was gay and conflating that. And of course, what do I wake up this morning to see is that criticism of that movie for doing exactly that. There you go. Matt Searing. Oh, Matt Searing, I like this question because I think about this on a weekly basis. Do you think the AFI will update their top 100 list in the future? They always do. They do it like every other year. No, uh, they haven't updated the top 100. <laughs> when was the last time? When they did the top 10. Uh, no, AFI has not touched that in a long time, Dan. It was 2008, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. I, I remember watching that. It was like a big CBS that. presentation. I remember I had yes. a friend over at the house. We were hanging out. And I was like, okay, you got to do something else. They're announcing the top 100 movies. And this is very important. I need <laughs> to know the top 10 laughs. Like, yeah. <laughs> Oh, right. That's they did the, like, the categories. Yeah. They used to do this uh, frequently, but then they just stopped. I don't know why. Because it's a silly system. Yeah. Well, also because it was a TV thing and TV viewership is down and they probably said not enough people watched. We don't get to do it again. Uh, Games. OK, I like games. I want you to play a game with me, Ray. I don't want to play a game. Oh, please. No. I said play a game with me, Ray. Right. Lovely. James Scott. Category placement. The what if domino effect. For The Godfather, what if Al Pacino was up for actor and Marlon Brando was up for supporting actor? Brando, oh, I don't know. I don't think Brando would have won supporting. I think I don't know because that's still gray and cabaret, and I yeah, I don't know that he definitely wins for that. Shit. Yeah. (sighs) In lead actor, I think uh, Pacino would have won. Yes. Okay. So I I think it's a trade-off. I don't think both. I don't think there's a scenario where both of them win. Mm -hmm. It's one or the other. Yeah, especially based on how Cabaret performed in other categories. Like, yeah. Uh, the other one, Kate Winslet was up for supporting actress instead of best actress for the reader. Oh, then she would so win lead for Revolutionary Road. Okay, so you think she would win twice? Actually, no, no, no. Hang on, hang on. I take that back. I take that back. I think, sorry, I'm getting my history mixed up. Uh, I think she would win supporting for the reader, and then Meryl Streep would win lead for Doubt. No, Anne Hathaway would have won. <laughs> No, she wouldn't have. Meryl Streep yes. won SAG. I'm inclined. I'm inclined to agree with Michael on this one. Anne Hathaway so. had no momentum behind her outside of that nomination. She had early momentum and it, it died. Yeah, I agree. I don't think so. She would win for oh, death. I... She wouldn't have Iron Lady. Well, <laughs> maybe the reason why Anne Hathaway's momentum stalled was because of Kate Winslet. It so. was because of Kate Winslet. Mm. Yeah, I really do think else, that. Though. I don't think Anne Hathaway would have happened. I think Kate Winslet would have won for Revolutionary Road. I think that had things gone that way, that her campaign would have actually coalesced around the category where she was the lead. She was working with her husband. It was reuniting with Leo. I think the campaign would have switched to that role. Hmm. Uh, Ethan May. Ethan May's back. From the list of people below, pick what they should have won an Oscar for, but you are knowingly replacing the winner of that year. Oh, man. Cindy Lumet. Oh, love Cindy mm-hmm. Lumet. Dear God. Yeah. Sorry, what year is this? It's not a year. It's just people. People who we think should have won an Oscar at some point. So you have to give Cindy Lumet an Oscar, but whatever you're giving it to him for, I the that year, that other person's losing. Oh, so we're all using Cindy Lumet. Okay. Yeah. Oh, director for network. Yeah, that that's easy for me. Yeah. That's my pick, too. 
Because you're taking yeah, it away from um, the director of Rocky. John L. Evelton. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll go with that break. That works. Uh, we mentioned this earlier, or at least uh, I brought it up. Uh, Glenn Close, uh, Dangerous Liaisons. Yeah. yeah. So I mentioned that I watched Dangerous Liaisons and that it was a good performance. However, I would not give her the win that year. I still give it to Meryl Streep for uh, Cry in the Dark. So Glenn Close... Out of the nominees in 2018, I would have given her the win, but my favorite, Emily Blunt, was nominated that year. So I'll say of the nominees, I'll give it to her for the wife. That was a very Michael Schwartz answer. That was. (laughs) There was so much explanation for like Michael, 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 but here's the answer to the question. (laughs) Uh, Alfrey Woodard. Now these have to be nominated performances, right? She's only been nominated once. I don't think so. I think it's just for whatever performance you thought she deserved to win for. I don't think it has to necessarily be a nomination. Yeah. Hmm. I don't think I would ever, I mean, I haven't seen Passion Fish, but I can't think of a time when I would give her the win. If I had, if I had to give her it for something, I would have said Clemency from last year. Still haven't seen Clemency, but I guess that's, you know, the best possible answer. I'm going to cheat and give her a nomination that she didn't get, and that's for 12 Years a Slave. She's so good in 12 Years a Slave. Yeah, I would definitely give her a nomination for 12 Years a Slave. I still don't know if I'd give her the win. Correct. No, No, no. it's hard to say her over Lupita. Yeah. I haven't seen Passion Fish. I I don't know if I can answer this um, because based on what I have seen, I wouldn't give her the win anywhere. Yeah. But I haven't seen Passion Fish, so I should add that to a list. Okay, next one. Tony Collette. I mean, <laughs> I mean, well, we already know what your answer is, Matt, <laughs> and it's the right answer. Like, <laughs> she obviously should have won for Hereditary. I'm not. I'm not saying anything. You guys already know. <laughs> Connie and Carla. No, I'm I knew it. I knew it. I knew it was coming. Uh, I'm totally kidding. No, 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 no. Uh, Sixth Sense. Oh, interesting. She was great in Sixth Sense. Yeah. Yeah, but that year, that lineup was so good. It was, yeah. It is, but I also love Olivia Coleman in The Favorite, and it's hard for me to say that she didn't deserve that either. No, yeah, they, they, were, they were my number yeah. one, number two, easily. Yeah. She actually is my win in 99 of all the people there and my, you know, people who weren't nominated. Wow. I think phenomenal in that movie. I mean, that scene in the car. Oh, so God. Yeah. She's so good throughout the whole movie. I just. Like, oh, definitely. Yeah. That whole category. Like, I, I always think that I would give it to her. And then I remember Chloe Sevigny and Boys Don't Cry. And I'm like, oh, God. Michelle Williams. Uh, she should have won in 2010. And I know I, I'm taking it away from Natalie Portman, but I don't care. I think that she's better. I agree. Oh, it's Valentine. Yeah. 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 That is such a strong year that I agree with you that she could have won, yet she doesn't even make my lineup that year, which is crazy because I think it's a phenomenal, phenomenal performance. Of her movie work, I would probably give it to her for, I wouldn't give it to her over Viola, but I'd say Manchester by the Sea, unless we could find some way to put Fosse Verdon in the movie theater. (laughs) Call me crazy. I'm going to say my week with Marilyn over Meryl. She's really I mean, good at my week. Yeah, I mean, that is a strong biopic performance. She would not have been my pick for the win in that category, but she is very, very good in that. Movie. But if I have to give her a win somewhere, that's like the easiest one I can do. Oh, wait, what about who is who were the other nominees for the Brokeback Mountain year? Amy Adams, Catherine Keener. Yeah. 
Oh, uh, yeah, because I would Rachel have Vice, the winner. Yeah. yeah. Francis McDormand from North Country. Okay, last one. This one comes from Daniel B. at Film and Sports 21. Previously, I asked about replacing one Best Picture nominee in a lineup, and I put up five years. I'm going to go easier on you guys this time, and I'm only going to put three years in. <laughs> so, the three years are, first up, 1954. <laughs> okay, so the 54 Oscar year, we have Three Coins in the Fountain, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, The Country Girl, The Cane Mutiny, and On the Waterfront. This is a very easy call. Yeah. So we're taking it out and replacing it or just taking it out? You're taking something out and you're putting something else in. And I, I have an easy answer as well. <laughs> you go for I. I mean, I think we're all going to say this. A Star is Born. No. Nope. Yes, oh, really? Oh, well, then this shocks me. I mean, I mean, the other choices I would go with are Sabrina. I love Sabrina. There's also Rear Window. And uh, of course, I'm a, of course, yeah, I'm a Rear Window fan. Yeah. yeah, Rear Window is the one that I would put in there. And I'd I put, would actually lean towards Rear Window as well. Yeah, easily. Casey, where do you fall in this? I think at the end of the day, I would put in Rear Window. But if I could cheat even more, I would take out both Kane Mutiny and Three Coins in the Fountain for Rear Window <laughs> and Starry Born. And then we're all happy. But, yeah, I like the K Mutiny, but like I, Best Picture, I don't know about that. And I'd even and look as much as I love A Star Is Born, I'd probably put in La Strada over that. That's fair too. Mm-hmm. So we're all taking out three coins in the fountain. Yeah. yeah oh yeah. Easily. That. Yeah. Good maybe. Song. Yeah. Next one, 1995. Uh, Sense and Sensibility, Il Postino, Babe, Apollo 13, and Oscar winner Braveheart. <laughs> this is so easy. <laughs> so, so, so easy. 1995, the year I was born, is such a weird movie year, I think. You know, you look at just all the weird things between Ron Howard not getting nominated for director and Mel Gibson winning the whole thing and the lineup just being odd and Il Pistino being a thing. It's just bizarre. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I, I'll make this. This is the easiest thing in the world for me. I would take out Braveheart and put in The American President. Ooh, that's a very close one for me, Dan. That would be my runner-up American president. I'm going to say take up Braveheart and replace it with Toy Story. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I think I would also take out Braveheart and replace it with Dead Man Walking. Oh, yeah. Mm. Uh, I'm a Braveheart fan. I can't take it out. I'm really sorry. A lot of people are. A lot of people are. Yeah, that's fair. I would take out Il Postino, the postman, because I have actually still never seen that. Neither have I, but I still like Braveheart less. <laughs> <laughs> and I would replace it with Toy Story. Il Postino is delightful. Adding that to the list. Okay, and then the last one. I think we've done this one before, but uh, whatever. 1999. I think we did it for a different category, not that yeah. picture, so this is interesting. The list is The Sixth Sense, The Insider, The Green Mile, the Cider House Rules and Oscar winner American Beauty. I'm going to sound like a broken record here. I'm going to take out the Green Mile in favor of Toy Story 2. I'm taking out um, Cider House Rules for uh, Magnolia. Oh, yeah. Can we take out both Cider House Rules and <laughs> the Green Mile? Please? No, I love the Green Mile. Come on. The Cider House Rules rules. <laughs> but either way, I'd replace... I replace if I'm replacing one, I'd replace it with talented Mr. Ripley. If it's yeah. two, it would be being John Alkovich. 
Yeah, I'm torn between Malkovich and The Matrix. Honestly, I love both of those movies. I, um, I since you said yeah, since you said Malkovich, I'll go with Matrix to replace uh, Cider House. I am replacing the Cider House rules with. Fuck it, I'll be different. Eyes Wide Shut, lone Best Picture nomination. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, 1999 is one of those years that there's just a plethora of good so options. So many, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I could still put Donning Hill in there. I'm actually a little surprised to a certain degree that the director's branch of the Academy didn't pull like a David Lynch, Mulholland Drive and just give Stanley Kubrick a lone director nomination. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. movie was really divisive. I know. I know it was. I know it was. But <laughs> maybe if he were still alive. Maybe. maybe. But but you would think that because he wasn't that it, it would have been more likely. That would have been the narrative. Yeah. 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 So interesting altogether. Okay, uh, that'll do it here for this week. Thank you, everyone that sent in their questions, and uh, thank you guys so much for keeping the channel uh, alive here. Um, it's been a very, very trying time in many ways, and uh, on a personal level, I, this is my pride and joy. This is what I love to do, and I'm so happy that I uh, still have the opportunity to be able to do this uh, with my friends here and for all of you. So thank you guys so, so much uh, for continuing to listen to the show. Please tell friends about the show. If you have any movie lovers out there, uh, we really, really would appreciate the support especially during this time and thank you once again michael where can they find you on the internet you can find me on twitter at m schwartz 95 casey you can find me on twitter at casey lee clark dan bear you can find me on twitter at dance and dan on film josh parm i'm on twitter at jr parm and i'm at next best picture Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 192 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate the feedback there and the support. Rate us five stars. It would be a nice thing to do. Also, too, if you head on over to Patreon for $1 minimum a month, you can get some exclusive podcast content from us. And boy, oh boy, do we have a lot of content this month. We're continuing our next best series recap of Mrs. America. We're going to be talking about the Eddie the Netflix show uh, that's going to uh, have some direct uh, for some direction from Oscar winner Damien Chazelle. So that's something to look forward to. I know this much is true on HBO. We'll be talking about that as well. Uh, and then we're also continuing our 2014 retrospective series, uh, continuing with the Grand Budapest Hotel this week, Inherent Vice and Wild all happening this month. So head on over to Patreon. You get all that exclusive content for $1 minimum a month if you enjoy the channel and want to help support us. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time.